I would add my greetings to those that have already been extended to you. We have an excellent number present today. We have, as Chris mentioned in our prayer, several of our members back who have been ill and unable to be with us. <clears throat> we'll be mentioning those later on by name, Lord willing. But we are delighted that you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. We're honored that you have come to be a part of our services this morning. Our ushers have the study guides as usual. They'll be coming down the aisle, and if you would, get their attention and take uh, some notes this morning on our lesson. We will have uh, plenty of material for you to look at and to fill out and write down scriptures, we hope, and you'll be able to study those privately and maybe pass some information on to other people as well. Growing up on the farm, we would work really hard to get a particular job done. And quite often, maybe my dad, but more often, my mom would say, well, finally. We finally got it done. I'm going to be preaching on finally this morning. And be aware of the fact that when <clears throat> Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 6, he was not saying to the congregation when this epistle was read before them, all right, it's time to get up and get your coats on now and get all the kids together and be sure you've got everything picked up that you need to take home with you because the service is just about over. <coughs> Preachers see a lot of things. <clears throat> and I have actually seen this occur when somebody or I would say, now in conclusion, people start reaching to gather up all the stuff and the paraphernalia to get their coat on maybe even before the invitation song is even started. They're getting ready. Or when the preacher says, now in conclusion, or finally, my final point <clears throat> is this. People assume that that is the go-ahead to get ready to leave. That's not at all what the word signifies in the text that we're going to be reading this morning. Let's begin reading in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. <clears throat> finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As you read these verses, we usually zero in on the Christian's armor. And for good cause because that is the primary thrust of the passage, it seems. It tells us what we are to wear as Christians so that we might be ready for the battle before us. We are in a fight as children of God. We are fighting against really powerful enemies. Paul says, not even flesh and blood. He goes on to describe what clearly is the forces of evil being led by none other than the prince of this world, Satan, and his counterparts. But as we look at this passage, and I don't have my monitor on this morning, so I'll be looking at my slides that I have from what you see on the screen. Paul uses that word finally to denote that we have something else to say that is very important. We may talk about finally finishing a job or finally arriving at our destination when we're on a trip, or maybe even the preacher finally hushed. We use it in those ways, but it doesn't mean that in this passage. Brother J. Lockhart comments on this word in Truth for Today commentary that he penned on the book of Ephesians. And he said that the idea is from now on, from this time hits forth, in the time that is ahead, whatever time you have left on this earth, here's what you need to do as a child of God. I think that is a very good point to be made. Paul used the word finally in five different passages. Those finally passages, as we will call them, are 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. As Paul neared the end of his writings to the church at Corinth, he said, finally, brethren, farewell and then went on to give them some very applicable instructions. Then we have this passage that we have used as a text for our lesson today. Finally, my brethren, be strong. It is important that we realize the need for spiritual strength. The Christian life is not for weaklings in the sense of not having courage, not having the will and the desire to stand up for what is right. Or oh, we're all weak in the flesh at one time or another. But we must be strong in the face of the opposition that we face. 
so as not to be easily overwhelmed. In Philippians 3 verse 1, Paul would say, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's important that as Christians we understand the concept of joy. We have so many reasons to rejoice. That rejoicing takes place in the Lord. That's the reason we should be rejoicing, that we can in Him find the strength that we need to endure and to persevere under adverse circumstances. In Philippians 4 verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are pure and true and lovely of good report, all those things that Paul lists, think on these things. Get your mind in the right place. Be sure you're focused, that you know and understand what is truly important in this life. And don't allow yourself to be sidetracked. Dwell on these things. Do you think we need that ad admonition today? With all of the, for lack of a better word, garbage that's being thrown out there? Many years ago, I used the illustration of a mother who was trying to get the point across to her daughter that she did not need to go and see a particular popular movie, a movie that was being talked about, you know, and everybody was going to see it, and, and her mother was not good with that. She said, honey, you don't need to do that. They happened to be in the kitchen preparing the evening meal. The daughter was defending her position. The mother was not giving any ground. You just don't need to do that. Her mother just reached over and got the garbage bowl and dumped it into the dish that she was preparing. And the daughter just went berserk. Mother, what do you think you're doing? She said, honey, if you don't mind your mind being filled with garbage, you shouldn't mind eating garbage. Good point. Think on things that are good, pure, honest, true, lovely, of good report. Those are the things we need to dwell on. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Paul would say, brethren, or finally, brethren, Pray for us. Much as he does in our text, he asked the Ephesian brethren to pray for him as a preacher of the gospel, that he might have free course, that the word might have free course, and that he might have the opportunity to preach and teach the truth. In this passage from Ephesians 6, I want you to notice first of all the charge that is given. Be strong in the Lord. How many times has Paul emphasized that in the book of Ephesians? I think it's about 36 times, but go back and count them. Read it and mark it. Note how many times, how many references are made to being in Christ. Our strength comes from the Lord, not from ourselves. If we had been able to make it on our own, there would have been no need for the Lord to have come to this earth. But he did come so that we might receive strength in due time. In order to be able to live faithfully the Christian life and the power of his might. If I remember correctly, the word that has to do with strength and 
the word that has to do with power here are pretty well synonymous in the original language. Paul often does that to emphasize the importance of a point. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Some translations have full armor. The word armor (coughs) comes from the Greek term panoplia, from which we get our word uh, panoply. And we have that word, I think, in one of the songs that we sing sometimes. But it's talking about the complete set of armor. Don't leave off anything. It's very important that we put on the whole armor of God. That is our charge. That's what the Lord wants us to do. You'll notice the description given to the foe that we mentioned briefly a minute ago reveals to us that the foe should never be underestimated. Have you ever seen two athletic teams on the field of endeavor and and, uh, one is, let's say, number one in whatever league or area they're in, and the other one is a very... Suspect team, just, you know, not very highly rated. They don't have any stars. And we all know that that's an upset in the making, especially as happened in reference to one team that I remember years ago. They were so overconfident as they were warming up and they'd point down to the other end like, why are we playing those guys, you know? When the game ended, guess who walked off the floor with their heads down? You know, the big powerful team were beaten. And they had just been so cocky, overconfident, as we use those words. We're never to underestimate our enemy. Satan is to be taken seriously. He is a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. He cannot be taken lightly. He is trying to lead astray everyone that he possibly can. So that means that every Christian must put on every part of the Christian armor in order to be ready. Did you notice in the reading of this passage how many times Paul uses the word stand and the word withstand? He keeps saying stand and withstand the evil. You must be sure that you're prepared to defeat the enemy. Don't run. Don't retreat. I know sometimes that we go on, quote, retreats. But I remember the guy in Wood saying, you know, we might need to stop using that word so much and maybe issue the orders to charge instead of retreating. Now, in warfare, there's a time to retreat. That is carnal warfare. To retreat, regroup, reposition, get to a place that is more easily defended and all of that. But still, we must realize the importance of standing, taking a stand for what is right 
and being willing to pay whatever price is required in order to maintain that which is correct before God. Now, I want you to notice in the second place, the clothing. Let's talk about the clothing for a moment. As you read those six items that are described, you'll notice that you are to girt your loins with truth. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. This was a girdle of sorts that was worn around the midsection in order to give yourself more strength in your back to withstand blows to the front of your body. And you see all these uh, old athletes that are wearing those copper things, you know, around their waists and their knees and, and elbows. And I looked at Barbara here a while back and said, I think I'm going to get me some copper. Man, that, that stuff is supposed to do miracles. I mean, you talk about Favre and, and uh, well, the other the receiver's name. All of you football fanatics know him. Uh, they get out there and play with those younger guys and just wear them out. But this, this support around the waist is said to be truth. Girt your loins about with truth. Truth is of vital importance, isn't it? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Be set for the defense of the truth. Love the truth. He describes this beginning in verse 14. Have on the girdle of truth and then the breastplate of righteousness. This would be to protect the vital organs, the heart and other vital organs, the lungs, all of those organs that would be easily uh wounded by a sword or a spear or an arrow. You put on that breastplate of righteousness. And then he talks about the shoes or the sandals, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. One source indicates that the Roman soldier had shoes that had something like nails in the bottom of them. Now that sounds painful to all of us, but the sharper points were turned down and they would serve basically the purpose of cleats. We have shoes today that have cleats on them. A football player, especially if he plays in the line, when he lines down, those cleats give him a lot of, of, of stick to I guess you could say. He can stay in that place, and those cleats dig into the ground and help him about being pushed backwards. The Roman soldier had something very similar to that in the bottoms of his shoes so that he could stand there, position himself, and take the onslaught that was brought by the enemy. And so it is that we must have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul in another passage talked about 
the beautiful feet of those that proclaim the gospel. That's not just talking about preachers, but anyone who carries the truth to someone else. We are to take seriously that charge. Preach the word, he told Timothy. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. So have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then he talks about the shield of faith. The shield, this particular shield that is described by a Greek term that refers to a large shield behind which you could get a lot of protection. You watch any of the old movies from the Greek period, you may see some of those shields. The Romans used the same basic strategy. They had shields that were large enough for a man to hide behind when the arrows filled the sky. There was a Greek general once who was told that if you do not surrender, we will fill the sky and blot out the sun with our arrows. There will be so many arrows coming that it will darken the sun. And that Greek general's response was, then we will fight in the shade. He was not going to give up. He was not going to back down. Christians need to have that mentality. We're not going to give up. We know what we believe. We know in whom we believe. And we're persuaded that He is able to keep that which we've committed unto Him against that day. That faith is so vitally, vitally important. And then the helmet of salvation. The head must be protected. If there is a blow delivered to the head, it can render one senseless. Maybe even death ensues. So the helmet was worn for that reason, to offer protection. And we all know that our mind is vitally important in our service to God. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We must have the mind of Christ, and we must ever be on guard to protect our minds, if you please. Keep our senses in proper working order so that we may understand the things that are truly important. So wear the helmet of salvation. Be aware that in Christ there is salvation. And don't ever let anything or anyone lead you away from that. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is said to be the Word of God. This sword that is described here is the shorter sword that was used in close quarters, and they were very deadly. I don't know if that's the type sword that Peter had in the garden when he smote off Malchus' ear. But the Lord told him, put it up. We don't need that. We're not going to resort to that type of weaponry. I'm sure that Peter remembered that for a long, long time, probably until his demise. 
as we read a while ago in our reading. His decease was imminent when he wrote those words. But we are to wield the sword of the Spirit, using the Word of God, the truth of God, to reveal error, to reveal sin and its condemnation. I really liked a comment that was made by Brother Burton Kaufman in uh, his commentary on the book of Ephesians. He said, in commenting on this passage, he says, which is the word of God? Six words that he points out is, are so descriptive, not merely of the sword of the Spirit, but all of the armor of God. And he made this analysis that I want to share with you. I don't have a slide on this, but you can check this out for yourself. He talked about the truth, the girdle of truth. He said, what is this if it is not the Word of God? Thy Word is truth. So you cannot take away the Word of God out of this first statement. And then he said, look at the righteousness that is described. The breastplate of righteousness. Didn't David say that all God's commandments are righteousness? Psalm 119, I believe it's verse 172. So there you see the Word of God in that breastplate as well. And then he talks about the gospel of peace. What is that but the Word of God? The gospel of Christ is, his, is God's Word to us today. We must receive it and allow it to direct us. Faith, the shield of faith. How does, shield, how does faith come? By hearing the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So the Word of God cannot be separated from that item too. And then he talks about salvation, the helmet of salvation. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, From a babe you have learned the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So God's Word is intertwined with our salvation. And then the final one, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, produced by the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit. It has life. It has strength. And it has the power to impart the truth to all of us. Then notice the constant, as we have called it. Verses 18 through 20 talks about with all prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Praying always, he said. Isn't that what he told the brethren at Thessalonica? Pray without ceasing. Don't let anything cut off your prayer life. I've had a person or two over the years, one man who has long since departed for his reward, was a member of the church here, loved by all of us. He came to me one time years ago and he said, Edward, I just can't pray. I just can't pray. And he was really serious. It was really bothered him. We talked. I encouraged him. 
You do the best you can and God will understand. I hope that's what he did. I think he did put that into practice. And I pointed out that the reception of our prayers does not depend upon our ability to voice everything that we want to and try to maybe because God does understand. We used to sing a song, Our Heavenly Father Understands, and He does. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Christ, who does understand what it's like to live in this world. But we need to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray for all saints. Notice how he uses that word all. Pray always. I know it doesn't have the two L's in that word. But then he said, pray with all prayer and supplication. And then he said, pray for all saints. And then Paul, not selfishly, but for the furtherance of the gospel, said, pray for me that the gospel may be preached, the mystery of godliness will be made known to all mankind. That indeed is a marvelous, constant theme for us to keep in mind. We must never stop praying. doesn't make any difference how dark the hour is. We can pray to God. Jesus in his darkest hour talked to his Father. Prayed the same prayer three times and kept saying, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. So important for us to put on the whole armor of God, the complete armor of God, and then keep on fighting and praying for that which is right and good. Now, finally... In conclusion, notice these things. In the book of Ephesians, the church is portrayed as a body, a family, and an army. All three of these figures involve basically the same thing. Membership, need to be a member of the body of Christ, a member of the family of God, a member of the army of the Lord. It involves unity. What army can prevail if everybody is in a state of confusion? Some of you have been in the military, and you can tell us that, you know, Gomer Pyle was sort of out of place. I had an ex-Marine tell me one time he would have lasted just a few minutes in my unit. <laughs> he would have been out of there because Sergeant Carter was not the typical sergeant in the Marine Corps. Barbara had an uncle who unknowingly joined the Marine Corps. When he was called for examination and so on, he said, I had a chip on my shoulder. I didn't want to be there. I was kind of a smart aleck. And when the fellow said, which branch would you like to become a part of? He said, I don't care. And he said, you go right over there. He said, I didn't notice, or I noticed there, there wasn't but two or three guys in that line. And I found out a few minutes later I had joined the Marine Corps. He had some medical issues and didn't stay very long. But he said it would have been a different ball game if Gomer Pyle had been in that unit. 
Well, when we think about an army, we think about devotion, dedication, commitment. We think about coordination too, don't we? Whether you're talking about a body, a family, or an army, you're talking about people coordinating things, working together in unity. Remember, Paul said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I'm asking you this morning, are you a member of the body of Christ? Have you made that good confession, turning from a life of sin and what we know is repentance, and coming on the basis of that faith to be immersed in that one baptism that we talked about a few weeks ago. And the result being that that brings us into Christ. We're baptized into Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Don't take my word for it. Check those passages out. Those who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. And then here we have in this epistle and many others the encouragement to remain faithful. Be a good soldier. Be a functioning member of the body. Be a loving, supportive, encouraging, faithful member of, the, of a family. Paul emphasizes all of those things. But we've studied the army today. Have you enlisted? You need to enlist if you're not a member of the body of Christ, the army of the Lord. If you're an erring child of God, you've been AWOL, away without leave. The boy kept showing up at the campus of Jackson County High School from which he had graduated the year prior. Kept coming in. He'd play basketball all day long in the gym with all of us other guys. But one day there were two men who came and said, you come with us. You are a wall. We've been looking for you. And they took him back. There's some who are a wall. Well, we're not going to come with force and strength and try to force you back. But we do invite you and welcome you with open arms when you make that decision to return.